What I'm seeing is in 25 years from now, a patient comes in with a disease and we are very quickly able to uh, describe the disease or do the diagnosis at a, at a genetic level or at a genomic level. And once we've done that, um, that we've got an ability to immediately pair up drugs um, to, that, to that particular subtype um, such that, that the patient could get it. I'm Jane Grogan, and I'm a scientist. I've been at this for more than 20 years now, and I think perhaps the only thing better than doing science is talking about the science. Lucky for me, I work in a place where I am surrounded by some of the brightest minds in research. However, there's usually not much time to just sit and talk. And that's why I'm so thrilled to be hosting this podcast. I am going to step away from my lab today and chat with a colleague about some of the cool stuff we're working on especially as we try to link these discoveries to new medicines. So grab your favorite drink, get ready to unlock your science brain, and join us for Two Scientists Walk Into a Bar, a podcast for biotech geeks and the people who want to hang out with them. We all know medicines come with specific directions like how much to take and when. But have you ever thought about how research and researchers determine the dose? Frankly, I have not thought about that. I just rely on the information that's in the, on the label. I would assume, though, they would do it through the trials, kind of through trial and error to see the optimum amount that doesn't hurt people. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Now I'm thinking about it, <laughs> right? Today's focus is pharmacology, the branch of biology concerned with the study of drug action. This is a subject near and dear to my heart as I grew up as a pharmacist's daughter and then actually ended up majoring in pharmacology along with biochemistry in my um, undergraduate degree at the University of Melbourne. So what is pharmacology and how do we think about this in terms of um, you know, possibly even personalised medicine and beyond? So with me to today to discuss everything pharmacology and the science of pharmacology is Sarah Kankari Mitra. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Sarah, let's start very simply. How would you define the science of pharmacology? So pharmacology is a, a branch of biology, actually, and it's related to the study of drug action. It's everything about what the drug does to the body when you take a drug, and then what the body does to the drug uh, because it has to take care of the drug. And of course, this covers everything that's, that's um, natural, found in the environment, constructed in a lab? Yes, everything. Uh, it could be pharmaceuticals, it could be natural products, um, it could be endogenous uh, products, um, any, any of these that has an effect um, and is ha has to be handled by the body is pharmacology. So in previous episodes, Sarah, we've talked about mm -hmm. chemicals and proteins and how they move around the body. And um, I'd like to kind of talk about how pharmacology fits into this because I think a lot of people out there think a drug has a specific action, right? There's a problem that needs fixing and you provide a drug and it fits into that like a jigsaw puzzle and voila, it's all done. But in fact, the drug has to move around the body, it has to get to the site of action, it's not just um, as binary as I think a lot of people think. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with a drug, firstly, drugs are all, all different kinds. So let's, let's say, uh, if we kind of broadly classify them as small molecules. So this is typically the, the, the drugs we take on a day-to-day -day basis. All of these are oral molecules. They're actually small molecules because they have a very small molecular weight. 
And of course, most of these we take orally, in just And we tablets. take them orally, and they're either tablets or capsules. In case of kids, they may be syrups. Um, sometimes there are suppositories, etc. But these are these are um, these are drugs that are essentially taken by a route other than administering them directly into the bloodstream. Now, the other end of the spectrum are large molecules, and large molecules which have proteins or antibodies, uh, these molecules are typically given directly into the bloodstream. And with a lot of these drugs, you think it's all about just dosing it, and then it causes a certain effect, because that's what happens to a patient. You've got a headache, you take an ibuprofen, and your headache goes away in a certain amount of time. But in between these two processes, a lot of things happen. Firstly, the drug that you take is, let's say, in a tablet form or, or a capsule form. It needs to first even get dissolved and absorbed and get into the bloodstream. When it gets into the bloodstream, typically the body sees it as a foreign uh, molecule. It's or a xenobiotic, as we call it. And our bodies are built to destroy xenobiotics. So our mechanisms, such as our liver, um, is, is, uh, and our kidneys. Our kidneys will process these molecules, so you'll eliminate them from the body. So really try to clear them out as quickly as possible. Clear them out as quickly as possible. The liver is full of enzymes that are, you know, ready to break these molecules up into inactive forms and get them out of the body. So in, under these circumstances, our fight is to make sure that the molecule is around for long enough time such that it can get to its real you know, site of action. So the balance is between keeping that ibuprofen around in your body long enough so that it can actually do what it's supposed to do. Jane. That's Wellington, my producer. Can you clarify site of action versus when you talk about targets? Ideally, you hope your site of action and your drug target are completely the same thing. That is, you have a drug that's targeting a molecule, that molecule is overexpressed in an inflamed or diseased tissue, that would be your site of action, so your drug would go there, hit the target at the site where it needs to work. Often things aren't as clean as that. Sometimes your target may be expressed on other tissue, normal healthy tissue, whether it be in the gut or elsewhere, and you hope that your drug either won't bind there very well, or if it does, it's not going to have a dramatic effect as it will when it's a concentrated amount in a tissue. So it's really understanding the dosing, how you can dose a molecule or a drug and keep it at a level that we know is required to drive efficacy. Yes, so there's another factor in there to consider. Uh, we define drugs as drugs that have um, a, um, a narrow, or a broad therapeutic window. A therapeutic window is the window is the window at which the drug is safe, but as well as effective. And in some cases, that window is very broad. So you do not get side effects until you dose this drug at very high doses and very high concentrations. In the other situation, you've got drugs where uh, the, the space between the, the, the dose at which the drug is active and the drug is safe is actually very, very narrow. Now, in these two situations, when you've got a drug that has these big swings, right? If it's in a broad therapeutic window situation, it's fine. As long as you know it's not causing any harm and it's going to be effective, it could swing and still create the action it needs to create. But in a narrow therapeutic in, in, uh, window situation, this is, this is problematic. So in the first example, typically then 
more drug doesn't necessarily bring along more side effects. You're not always, you've got a large therapeutic window in That's which to right. operate. That's right. That's right, because even if you took uh, a little higher dose, you still are very much in the safe range. Um, and that's why the doctors, when they prescribe medicines, they will tell you what is reasonable and what is not reasonable. Uh, for example, please do not take more than four pills of this drug in a 24-hour window. The reason for that is if you do that, and if this is a narrow therapeutic window drug, then you could start seeing side effects. So underlying the whole discipline of pharmacology is this concept of ADMI, which stands for absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion. Could you just talk about why those different parameters are critical to the science of pharmacology? And every drug is different. Some drugs are more fat soluble, so they go around into the fat, they stick around for a long time. Some just stick to, the, to your blood cells and remain in, in, the, in circulation, or the proteins in your blood and remain in circulation, and they never really go into your, into your deep tissues. But it's still the same principle. Uh, the drug has to be absorbed, it gets distributed, and finally eliminated. So the ADME, understanding each of these, um, and understanding that for a particular drug, really helps you to, to design better drugs. It helps you to understand how your drug is going to work, where it's going to be, how long it's going to be there. I think the excretion part is very interesting because you uh, don't want the drug to be metabolized so quickly that it can't be efficacious, it's not there long enough. Yes. But at the same time, you may not want the drug to hang around too long, like clearing it out of the system can be a very good thing. You want yes. an effect and then you want that drug to be cleared. Absolutely. Uh, and I know many of the intravenously administered drugs actually they may have very short half-lives, but it doesn't matter. You can give them as an IV infusion and you can get them to the concentration you need, let's say an antibiotic, and then once you stop the infusion, the drug quickly, quickly is gone from the body. So Sarah, when we think about the therapeutic window, it feels very um, uh, discreet. And of course, everyone's different. Everyone's different in terms of their metabolism, whether it be the food that they're just eating at their meals. Um, people of different sizes, different shapes, have different amounts of, of fat or non-fat, which is important depending on the kind of drug that you provide. How do you layer all of this complexity into um, deciding on a dose? Yes, that's a great question. That is the key part of pharmacology, which is that every person is different. And so when I talk about any of these parameters, whether it's absorption, distribution, metabolism, metabolism elimination, half-life, clearance, all of this stuff, these are just average terms. But the a really important job of a pharmacologist or a pharmacokineticist to now understand the variability associated with each of this. And with each of these um, steps, there's variability. There's variability in how we absorb uh, drugs. For example, if you're taking an oral drug, if you ate it with one type of food versus another type of food, um, you know, your transporters, there are transporters in our gut uh, that are very different in different individuals. So the amount that gets absorbed is different. The amount that gets distributed is different. As you've said, some people have more body fat. Men are different from women. Different populations are vary. Same is true for metabolism. In fact, it, it, there's an entire science uh, related um, to drug metabolizing enzymes. And it is known that a lot of them uh, can be polymorphic even, which means that they there are multiple forms of even one different one enzyme. And in some populations, 
one, one form is more predominant, in another, another form is predominant. And that the drug metabolism then in that particular population might be very, very slow. They might be slow metabolizers. Another population might be a fast metabolizer. And really understanding that is very important. Of course, the clinical trial is the empirical testing then, and then getting the endpoints that you can take back and understand that variability. But how do you model this up front? So, we typically try to start modeling this very early. Even when we are going into a phase one study, based on our preclinical information, we begin to develop models. Uh, we, these, you know, these are computer-based mathematical models. And as we get more information from each stage of development, we add to these models. And those models are the ones that really help us uh, better uh, you know, predict um, predict the, the, the pharmacology of the drug in different populations. Jane, these models seem very complicated. How do they work? Are you just inputting data points for patient X and data for drug Y and putting them together? This is largely a bioinformatic approach. It's taking information, putting it into a machine, and using machine learning to try and come up with some outputs. It's very important. It's early days. Um, we'll see more of this in drug development moving forward. And this, of course, complements other research that goes on um, that's a lot more empirical or hypothesis-driven. How, how do you in the field think about identifying the right pathways for a given individual so that you and I, with a similar disease, could be taking very different doses and or different drugs? There's pharmacogenetics and pharmacogenomics. Um, and, and what it is, is that we clearly understand that there's a lot of variability. Now, not all variability is is genetic in nature or has a genomic component to it. Some of it is just based on things like age or, um, or body fat percent or weight or things like that. But once you've ruled out all of those, then is, if there's a significant variability still remaining that you, see, you notice that a certain population has it, then looking for potential genetic drivers for it is, is where the field is obviously going. Could you just um, take a moment and describe the similarities and differences between pharmacogenetics and pharmacogenomics? Yeah, these two words are usually used interchangeably. I think when it comes to ADME, they're still a bit interchangeable because we don't have enough examples of pharmacogenomics. Pharmacogenetics is where you've got one particular gene that you know um, that potentially could have a direct connection with some effect or change. Pharmacogenomics is where you look at the entire genome or a portion of the genome and then try to relate it back to either efficacy or safety or something like that. So if that. there's any you know, small genetic mutations that are actually affecting gene transcription or a role it may be having in metabolism or... Yes, that those would show up in the pharmacogenomic screen versus pharmacogenetics is where you've got a hypothesis and you go in with a particular genetic hypothesis. And there are, there are good examples of that already in the clinic um, uh, or in practice. Uh, I mean, there, I, you know, I was thinking about uh, the drug, uh, there's a HIV drug, and this drug um, used to um, produce a lot of hypersensitivity reactions in patients. And this went on for a while until they figured out that there was a particular type of um, HLA gene that uh, once identified, if you found that patients have that gene, um, and you can, you can reduce or either not give that drug, and it completely changed how the drug is dosed because you reduce the hypersensitivity. 
activity. Yeah, eliminate that toxicity. And eliminate that toxicity. So um, so that's the future that we, we are hoping for and that we are all striving for. Yeah, so do you think understanding the pharmacogenetics and pharmacogenomics aspect of pharmacology will add to our need for biomarkers or our use of biomarkers. We have talked about biomarkers in this show um, previously. Do you think this whole area of pharmacogenetics will feed into how we think about diagnosis or placement of drugs? Yeah, I mean, I think that this field actually is more evolved than the field of pharmacogenomics as it relates to uh, ADME or pharmacokinetics. Um, and that's because uh, particularly, you know, in certain areas like cancer, um, the, the, the disease uh, and how the disease um, is, is uh, evolving and how heterogeneous it is and how, how well it's characterized, um, that, that has gone quite far. So we already have a good basis of genomics, whether that will now play uh, into pharmacogenomics and our understanding of pharmacology is still yet, the jury's out on that. But clearly we have a lot more information about cancers, about their heterogeneity, about the, their genomic information. And um, a lot of the work that's going on around the world is really to be able to uh, relate um, that genomic information and connect it um, to, to, to figuring out which drug will work best for that particular disease. And how far are we away from this? Is this a five-year goal, a ten-year goal? You know, we already have a aspirational few... Aspirational goal? Yes. We already have a few examples where this is working. Um, so, so we are not, we are not, this is not something that's so futuristic. We have a few drugs on the market today where um, you can pair up the particular genomic information or the type of cancer to a particular type of drug. So that exists. Uh, we would hope that this would be, uh, there would be more progress in this area. Um, a part of it might just be our own understanding of the biology is evolving, um, the technology is evolving, and I really think that in the future, this is going to be the state of the art. Um, it may be 10 years from now, it might be sooner, but, but it has to be. That's where this field is evolving. I want to ask you, what drew you into pharmacology as a student yourself? You know, when I was young, this starts very young because my grandfather was a physician. And so the talk in the house, and he lived with us for the early part of my life, and, and the talk in the house was always about the ailments and uh, medicine. Uh, I, I just cannot even remember a day without that. In fact, I almost would pretend doctor most of the time in the house if anybody got sick. And I just always was fascinated by medicine. I mean, medicine was it. I could not speak beyond medicine. When I uh, went into um, college, um, uh, I, it was a toss-up between wanting to go to medical school or um, entering pharmacy school where I could actually study more about medicine. So I was in pharmacy school. As part of my pharmacy school education, I had to do an internship. And I was an intern in India. And, um, and I was just thrilled. It was like my first true job. I was given a job to be in the tableting department. And my job was to sit in, you know, the, the whole room was full of machines that were doing tableting. My job was to sit there and then occasionally get up and do certain tests on the tablets that were coming out. These were part of their quality control. And I was doing this day after day after day. And if you've ever been in a room with tableting machines, there's a, there's a constant noise like tarak, 
tarak, tarak, tarak, tarak. <laughs> and this went on for a month, and I, there was like this moment where I thought, what am I doing? While this is what, you know, I love, that's not the aspect of it that I love. It's not the aspect of making that drug eventually. It's the aspect of understanding the science that leads you um, to what the drug is doing um, and then making the drug work. That's the piece that excites me, not this. So this was, this was my true aha moment when I decided that I have to get into graduate school and I have to pursue science beyond this. So knowing what goes into the pill rather than just making the pill. For the younger people out there listening to this podcast and who are interested in this discipline, what advice would you give to them? Well, firstly, the, my first advice is I, I'm just happy to let people know that such a discipline exists because sometimes um, people even coming into and you know into into science may not realize that there's actually a discipline around pharmacology and it's a distinct discipline that's linked to biology um, and that. Um, that if you're interested in um, treating disease and you're interested in drugs and creating new drugs and, and drug action, then this is the place for you. Since you began as a student, what have been the major advances in the field that have kept you really excited about the discipline? If you looked at history books and how pharmacology started, it was all around, you know, dosing, giving someone a, a certain chemical and then seeing if they actually, you know, produced a certain effect or not. Over the years, science has evolved so much that our ability to actually measure things, like measure the drug, measure where it's going in the body, um, you know, our, our understanding of drug metabolizing enzymes, our understanding of transporters, uh, our ability to, to determine, um, you know, to model all of this. A lot of the technology um, that has allowed us to then gain a more deeper understanding, go from empirical to really a scientific understanding of how pharmacology happens uh, is where we are today. The other area it's evolving in is, is the mathematical modeling portion. And the reason I say that is because it's not always possible for you to test every scenario in the human being. But models that allow us to use this scientific information in, in a computational sort of way to then predict what the behavior of a drug would be in spe certain specific situations are, are already you know, paying a lot of dividend in this field. And in the future, this is going to be incredibly important. We are already seeing that there are people that are developing apps around this um, that might allow um, physicians um, to predict um, you know, how a particular drug would work in that particular patient that's in their office at that time. So one could imagine that this becomes incredibly more tailored um, than it is um, to this day. And aside from the empirical and the computational, how much can be done in silico? How can we, can we model any of this in a plastic dish? Can we, can we grow a liver and look at metabolism in a dish without having to go into the patient early on? Um, yes. So, kind of uh, crazy ideas, but, but you know. Yes. So, you know, there is, a, there is a lot of work already ongoing in terms of using cells, for example, um, that will allow us to predict um, these type of behaviors, drug, drug metabolism, etc. Um, using artificial organs, I, I think that's coming, right? Our ability to then uh, being able to understand that is very important. However, the, one of the big 
For me, the ahas in pharmacology is sometimes these isolated experiments may tell you a story that's not yet complete until you put the whole picture together. But yes, being able to you know drill down and use, for example, um, artificial organs or um, in silico methods um, is, is incredibly important. And this is why the field has made the progress that it has. I think that's a challenge in all biology, actually. It's the, it's the reductionist. How do you reduce the system down to, to understand it and then build it back into back. the complexity Absolutely. in which it exists? Absolutely. Yeah. Reverse translation question, Jane. In what ways will this work impact basic research? Loads of ways. Research is an ongoing inquiry into uncharted or unknown areas. And we don't have all the answers. If we did, <laughs> we'd have the cures, we wouldn't need any more drugs, etc. But we don't. And I think as we understand the complexity of human disease, the toxicities associated with drugs, we understand what works and what doesn't, we can actually take that and create hypotheses back in the lab and start asking why and how, and maybe coming up with a better drug or a lower toxicity profile of an existing drug that we can then take back to the clinic and to the patient. Sarah, Star Trek question. 25 years from now, <laughs> a patient comes in with a disease. What, how could this look that's very different from today in terms of speed of diagnosis, speed of getting the right drug at the right dose with the right you know, therapeutic window profile? Yeah, that's a fa fascinating question. So uh, what I'm seeing is in 25 years from now, a patient comes in with a disease. Uh, because of our understanding of genomics and genetics, we are very quickly able to uh, describe the disease or do the diagnosis at a, at a genetic level or at a genomic level and, um, and, and be able to, to make sure that we understand the exact subsets of this disease in a very, very rapid uh, manner. Uh, and once we've done that, um, that we've got our, an ability either through apps or, or, or more, more digital sort of methods to immediately pair up drugs um, to that to that particular subtype um, such that, that the patient could get it. Uh, I also think that there will come a time when the patients also have some profiles which allow us to understand, you know, their, their cytochrome P450 profile, their, um, their um, transporter profiles, their, you know, elimination profiles, etc. And all of that is available already as part of, you know, a health chart. Um, so maybe it's more than just coming in and knowing the blood type, it's knowing how you will metabolize something. Absolutely. And that, that's already in your medical health record. And it, it, it essentially, you can use digital information to then pair this because you've got the entire, um, you know, the entirety of the patient as an individual, um, as well as their disease, the patient and their disease. And, and the, those are very well classified. And now you've got drugs that you can pair based on that combination rather than um, the more, um, you know, trial and error methods that happen at this point in time because they're based on the population rather than the patient. Sarah, you've been awesome. It's been great. I think it's a really exciting time for pharmacology, um, especially when we start combining it with genetic information and all the computational and digital power that's out there these days as well. So thank you for sharing your insights. Great. Thank you for having me here, Jane. Lots to think about when you next reach into your medicine cabinet. As we get closer and closer to a world of personalised medicine, I think we will be increasingly reliant on the work of Sarah and her colleagues in pharmacology to ensure we are safely taking the right amount of medicine at the right time for our individual needs.
In our next episode, we will be taking an even deeper dive into the immune system and exploring how the same system that protects us can also be the source of harm. You won't want to miss it. In the meantime, keep telling your science fans about us, like us on Facebook and Twitter, and most importantly, if you haven't already, subscribe and rank us on iTunes. Those of you who have already subscribed, thank you. And now for me, it's back to the lab.